Well, I'm going to go into teaching mode this morning, which um, means I'm going to cover a lot of content quite quickly. I have a website. It's amyward.org, and all the stuff I'm teaching this week, you can download the direct notes right off of my website if you would prefer to just listen, because um, oftentimes I go through quite a lot, and it can be hard to follow, so you have that opportunity to just listen if you want to, okay? All right. Well, again, I'm used, to, um, I'm used to teaching lots of different backgrounds, so I like to really kind of start in the same place with everybody and so we can all be on the same page. And because I'm also used to teaching in more of the Pentecostal charismatic side of things, what I have found is that a lot of people are spirit-filled and they have a prayer language, all of that, but they don't always fully understand why they do what they do or what it's all for. So I find in teaching, it doesn't really matter where you find yourself and your background. Oftentimes, it's still helpful, and then helpful for you to be able to communicate it to other people as you go into all the things that God's called you to do. So people can refer to him as the Holy Spirit, which is, that's his name, or the Holy Ghost, which can sound even a little bit crazier. And we can have this uh, thought in our mind of like, well, who is he? When people say the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, you're kind of like, okay. Spirit, ghost, sounds a little spooky. And then people will say things like, you know, the Holy Spirit's here. And you're kind of like, what does that mean? Or what? what? You know, a feeling? Uh, what is it? But really, the Holy Spirit's actually the person of God. He's, one, he's, he's part of the Trinity. So he's actually God, the Holy Spirit. And we, I want you today, throughout all of today, to think of the Holy Spirit as a person, because he's the, he's the Spirit of God, but he's the third person in the Trinity. And it's easy for us to think of the Father as a person because we're created in his image and we all have a Father. And it's easy for us to think of Jesus as a person because he actually came in the form of a person. But sometimes it can be harder for us to think of the Holy Spirit as a person. But that's what I want us to do today because he actually is the third person in the Trinity. And we're going to talk about uh, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 when we see the power of the Holy Spirit coming after Jesus is ascended to the Father. But it wasn't like the Holy Spirit just showed up in Acts 2 and prior to that you don't see much about him. That's actually not true at all. It's that the Holy Spirit has always been a part of God and he was involved in the creation of the earth. In Genesis 2, uh, 1-2, it says the earth was formless and void, and water was over the surface of the deep. And it says the Spirit of God moved over the waters. That, that, whole, that Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. He was actually a part of the creation of the very earth. Now, we also see his, create, his involvement in the creation of man. In Genesis 2-7, it said, The Lord God formed Adam, man, out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. That word breath is one of the names of the Holy Spirit. So God actually breathed Holy Spirit into Adam, and that's what brought him to life. So the very air that we breathe, the life that we have, is part of who the Holy Spirit is. He breathed into him, and, and Adam became living. So throughout the Old Testament, we can see the presence of the Holy Spirit as he comes upon people and they do supernatural things. It says the Spirit would come upon them. We see that with Samson. He had supernatural strength and Gideon and David. It said the Spirit would come upon them and then they would prophesy. And we can see these interactions all throughout the Old Testament where the Spirit comes upon human beings and then they begin to walk in the supernatural when that happens. 
But when Jesus comes to the earth, we actually see his relationship with the Holy Spirit, and it says the Spirit was with him. In Luke 3, 21, Jesus, he's being baptized by John the Baptist here, his cousin, and he's being baptized, and the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove. We actually see him come in that moment in the form of a dove, and right after that in Luke 4, 1, it says, Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So really quick, a pause. I always like to stop here for a moment. Is that right here in the scripture, Jesus is being baptized by his cousin. And it's the first, first public affirmation of the Father God. So this is when Father God says, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. And a dove appears and there's this whole encounter right here. Well, the very next thing that it says, what the Spirit did, it says, then the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Which is interesting is that the Holy Spirit, if you ever find yourself in a wilderness experience that's from God, this is the Spirit led Jesus there. So we can't self-proclaim ourselves in the wilderness. I'm just in the wilderness. Like, you've been there way too long. I don't think that's God. I think that might be you. Right? So it's about the, wait a minute. So the Spirit's the one that would lead you to the wilderness? Yeah, because it's the seasons of God. Why did God lead him in the wilderness? Because he just had a major moment, a public affirmation. So a lot of times when you have major encounters or you are promoted, if you will, or, or there's an increase, you will find yourself in the wilderness. Guess what? It has nothing to do with punishment. It has everything to do with authority. Because God the Father knew what Jesus would do. Oh, and then that's not even crazy enough. The Father allowed Satan to come and tempt his son. Because he, he had to overcome in that moment. And Satan offers something to Jesus that was already his inheritance. Right? But he allowed it. So yes, the Father allows Satan to tempt you. In hopes that you will resist him to gain authority in the very area that you said no to. So sometimes we're like, why is this happening? It, I mean, oftentimes it has nothing to do with what you did wrong. It has everything to do with who you're becoming. Right? So we have to think of the wilderness differently. First of all, the Spirit's the one that leads you in there. And yes, when we, it says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials and tribulations because it's actually what makes you look like him. And so this generation, our generation, I told you in my story, you heard a lot of stuff and I didn't have as much time to unpack a few things, but everything the enemy's meant to take me out with has turned to be the authority that I actually walk in. So why, you know, here I am, I don't deserve this. It has nothing to do with me being punished for something. The enemy hates me. His worst fear is I'm going to find out who I am and become it. His worst fear is that you're going to find out who you are and become it. So in all of that, think about this for a minute. All of those things in your life, especially the ones that are not to do with your poor choices, but just things that have happened to you, no matter how bad they are, that's what we call the redemption of God, is he can turn them and it actually ends up being the very authority that you walk in. So we got to think about the wilderness differently in those times where we're being tempted is that he's not, that, you know, God's not afraid of your pain. He's not afraid of pain because what we do with pain has everything to do with what we become next. He doesn't want you to be in pain, but he's not afraid of it. Why? Because he endured it. And there's so many scriptures that talk about that we're going to suffer like he suffers, that we're going to encounter trials and tribulations, but it says count all joy. So that's another whole message. I love that message, though. All right. 
So when Jesus on the, was on the earth, he was constantly modeling his relationship with the Father, right? So he's showing to us what is possible. And how we have to remember that when Jesus came to the earth as a man, he reduced his deity. He reduced his godness, if you will, to become a man. So he was fully God, but yet he didn't operate in his God powers. He operated as a human so that he could show us what was possible, right? So he felt emotions. He felt pain like we would feel. He felt everything as a human being, or it wouldn't have been the pure spotless lamb that he was holy. He never sinned, but he had to experience it all like a human being, or it wouldn't have been the same. So sometimes we think of when Jesus on the earth, that he had special, you know, powers and access to things. No, he actually didn't. He stepped into them as we would step into them to model to us what is possible in relationships. So he always said, I am my father, my father's in me. And he says, I don't do anything unless I see my father in heaven do it. Because he doesn't do anything unless he's in perfect unity. Now here's the thing is that the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit as the Trinity, they're in perfect unity. They never do anything um, outside of that perfect unity. We call it Trinitarian unity. And that's why he loves unity when we come together as the body of Christ globally or regionally, whatever, is he loves unity because it's actually one of the main characteristics of heaven. So it's not like the Father and the Son are up in heaven, you know, because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit's here on earth, and he's just like doing his thing. No, every single thing that's truly the Holy Spirit is actually in perfect unity with the Father and the Son. So Jesus is modeling this relationship and he's saying, I don't do anything unless I see my father in heaven do it. Does that mean that he's having a vision every morning of what his father's doing? I don't think so. I actually just think he was so close to the father that his relationship was so close that there was a unity of his spirit and the father's spirit and the Holy Spirit that he, doesn't, he didn't just do what he wanted to do. is that he just knew the heart of the father because of spending so much time with him. So sometimes when we say, well, I want to do whatever God's saying, it's not as much about having encounters and seeing things as much as it is about being so in love and in tuned in those quiet times and that unity that you're led by the Spirit, right? So, you know, a lot of things that people call the Holy Spirit, he gets blamed for that he doesn't really do, okay? So you have to know right now, people call things the Holy Spirit all the time that he's like, that ain't me. People are like, oh, the Holy Spirit's doing that. He's like, nope, that's all you. Okay, just because somebody says something is the Holy Spirit doesn't make it true. But just because somebody says, the, you know, someone says the Holy Spirit and you don't think so doesn't make it not true either. Right? You got to know that your, your definition of what's God and not God is not the ultimate authority here. Because there's many things that I see, I'm like, eh, I don't know about that one. But what's the fruit of it? But all to say is there's a lot of things that God gets blamed for. He's like, that's not me. So we have to remember no matter our backgrounds right now, just to kind of pause for a moment and go, let's hit reset on some of these things and come into alignment with how we begin to say what's God and what's not God. And then, so in that same place, it's like the Holy Spirit's in perfect unity with the Father and the Son. It's not like he's bored and gone rogue down here and it's like, watch this, I'm going to knock this guy over. <laughs> right? Like, no. If somebody falls over, then, and if it's truly God, then it's in unity with the Father and the Son. It's not like he's just down here. And here's another thing. The Holy Spirit's not a toy. <laughs> he's God. Uh, the Holy Spirit, he's not charismatic. He's God. 
He's not Pentecostal. He's not any denomination. He's actually God. And the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. (laughs) He's God. The Holy Spirit is not a manifestation. He's God. So we have to remember that there's a fun and an intimacy and a friendship, but yet he's holy. (laughs) We're talking about creator of heaven and earth. God, he's part of the Godhead. And so I've been in pretty much every kind of Holy Spirit movement in the United States in the last 20 years. I've been around it, and even more than that. And I've been in other nations, and I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of things that I don't know if they were God. (laughs) I've seen some things that I know that I know. I've seen some things that I don't think probably were, and in everything in between. But what I have found, you're going to find that I'm a fear of the Lord girl, and I'm definitely a holiness preacher, but I don't play with the Holy Spirit, but yet he's that close to me. So does that make sense? So it's I don't decide, you know, what he's going to do. He decides I'm cooperating with him. Does that make sense? Okay. So some of you I want to say right now, you've experienced some things in your life. If you've grown up in the charismatic, that probably maybe weren't right accurate or maybe even had a bad experience. So if anybody in here has ever had somebody minister to you in the name of the Holy Spirit and it causes you harm or hurt, I apologize on behalf of them ahead of time. But we're going to have a safe place and a place to fully go deep in the Lord. It's going to be good. All right. So in John 14, 16, Jesus says, and I'm going to pray to the Father and he's, that he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. In John 16, 7 and 8, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go, for if I do not go, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you, and when he's come, he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Okay, I'm going to read a few more scriptures. In John 14, 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And one more, Luke 24, 49. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. All right, I always do the same thing. But I want you to use your sanctified imaginations with me this morning. That means that we get to have a little fun. And it's not exactly how the Bible says it, but we're going to use our imagination. And then we're going to read what the Bible actually says. So I want you to imagine this morning that you're one of the disciples. That if you are going to be one of the disciples, imagining yourself in that place. So first of all, did you know the average age of the disciples was like 19, 20, 21, 22 when Jesus called them? That's your age. Jesus at the time was 30. That's almost 10 years younger than me. I am right now. So I kind of think it's funny because it's usually the average age of DTS and DTS leaders. It's kind of funny. You can really relate to this because most of the disciples were around your age. And a lot of them were doing whatever that was expected of them. Just like sometimes in our lives, your parents expect you to take on the family business or go to university or be this and that. They had those same expectations put on them. I'm a fifth, I was a fifth-generation commercial fisherman. My brother is. Uh, my brother, you know, I, I talked to my parents last night. I'm like, is he ever going to do something different? He doesn't know anything different. He's five generations. It's just all he knows, and he doesn't think he has any other options. I think it's the same even in this time. Some of these guys are fishermen or, you know, it's like Jesus was a carpenter because, his, because Joseph was a carpenter. So you see those expectations. That doesn't mean that's not necessarily what they wanted to do. It's just they were doing the responsible thing. But human nature hasn't changed that much, even though it's been, you know, a couple thousand years. People are still people. 
human nature is still human nature. And so 19, 20, 20-year-old 20 dudes are still same human nature as then. And I bet a lot of them out there fishing thinking, man, I'd like to start my own business. I want to do this, but I can't. Or I don't have the money or whatever it might be. And then here comes the coolest man that ever walked the face of the earth. Literally the coolest man that ever walked the face of the earth. And he's respected because he's a rabbi. And he walks up and picks 12 of these guys. And he says, leave everything you're doing and come and follow me. First of all, they didn't pray to get a confirmation. They just dropped what they were doing. And they followed him. I don't know what their parents thought about it. I don't know what their church thought about it. I don't know. But they just followed him. And they were a dysfunctional group of dudes. Rowdy. Issues. Ridiculous when you actually read how they, how they operated. So he calls these 12 guys, and they, these guys get to do life with Jesus every day. Okay? So it's like, think of a three year DTS basically, but they're doing lecture and outreach on the same days. And uh, they see everything he does. They see all the miracles, they see how he treats people. They are sleeping in the same rooms, they're eating at the same tables. They do literally life with him for three years. And it says that Jesus did so many miracles that they wouldn't even fit in the books of the earth. Do you realize that we only have a few of the stories? There's going to be this really amazing movie. We're going to watch it in heaven one day. The three years of the life of Jesus, all the untold stories, you know? Right? It's like after the movie when they show all the scenes that didn't make it. Yeah, that's what we're going to watch. All these outtakes of crazy. We're like, I thought God didn't do that. I haven't called that one and said that wasn't God, and he did it. I mean, there's so many things we don't know. But these guys seen it. They've seen it every day. And I would imagine, you know, they're in the bunkhouse with him trying to sleep, and Jesus is trying to go to sleep, and he's like, here, they're their dudes. <laughs> hey, guys, watch this. Listen, I got two boys, and I've had boys in my youth group, and I grew up with fishermen. <laughs> hey, knock it off. Ooh, who did that? John, put him down. <laughs> knock it off. But he's perfectly patient. He's perfectly kind. Peter, stop it. Okay? It's not like they're going, it's not like they're laying at, at night going, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. No, they're dudes. <laughs> and he's probably laying in his bed going, Father, why have you forsaken me? Are you sure these are them? Good nighteth, Jesus. Right? No, they're talking like they would talk. And, you know, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. They're, they're talking about the dumbest stuff. They're getting fights. And he's just like, boys, you know, he's doing, but they love him so much. That, and these are fishermen. They love him so much that they could actually rest their head on his chest. <clears throat> fishermen don't do that. There's no cuddle time, okay? <laughs> but that's how close they are. So you can see this relationship is so deep and so personal. And how many times did he have patience when they shouldn't have? They're connected to him. And then it comes to the end of those three years. And Jesus is in the garden, and he's about to go to the cross the next day. And he asks them, guys, can you just stay up with me, please? They completely fail and fall asleep. They're all, and he's alone with the Father. But here's the wild thing. Do you know Jesus didn't want to go to the cross as a, as a, hum, as a human? Because he asked the father three times, please don't make me do this. If there's any other way, 
please don't make me do this, but not my will, but yours be done. I don't think Jesus fully understood what was happening. And he was being obedient to his father, but I don't know that he fully understood all of it. Because he kept saying, please don't make me do this, but not my will, but yours be done. And then the moment comes where the soldiers come to get him. And Peter wakes up and cuts the soldier's ear off. And Jesus is like, Peter, put your sword away and puts the ear back on the soldier. No big deal. Peter, how many times did I say don't play with your sword? And then they take him. But here's the deal. is All in that moment, they're like, why, why are you allowing this, Jesus? Wait a minute. What? No. Because they know the power that he has. They know that he could call fire down from heaven and burn them all up. He knows that he could kill them. He knows that he could, they do know who he is. They've seen him do more miracles than you and I will ever know until we get to heaven. And they're like, why would you allow this? They don't understand. And Jesus doesn't fully understand because we actually see that when he's on the cross and he's dying and the most pain that the Father God and Jesus ever felt were the moment that, Jesus, uh, that the Father God had to turn his back on Jesus for a, for a moment because it had, he had to fully give his son. And so he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? If he understood why, why would he have asked? Why? But in his greatest place of pain and abandonment, his disciples abandon him, and his own father has to turn his back. What does Jesus do? He doesn't focus on his own physical pain that we can't even imagine how much pain he was in. He actually turns to the one that was guilty next to him. And he focuses on him, and he forgives his sins, and he loves the one that deserves it in his greatest place of pain and abandonment. Now, Jesus, we know he dies on the cross, and he gets buried. And the disciples, they freak out. In the moment, the ones that are the closest to him are cussing and cursing, saying, I blankety blank don't know him. Well, here's the thing. When are you the most tempted to blame God or be mad at God? When something happens that you don't understand why. A pain, whether it be the loss of a family member or a relationship or you didn't get the, op- when something goes wrong, you're like, this is the moment that you're going to question whether God's good or not. Whether he really sees and he really knows. Why would you allow this to happen? If you really love me, God, why would you allow this? And those are the moments that people are most likely to turn their back on God is when they're experiencing pain that they don't understand. And that's what the disciples did. I think they responded to the pain of If you loved us, Jesus, you would get off that cross and stay with us and kill all these soldiers. But what they didn't understand was that the greatest story of all of human history was being written in that moment. And they thought Jesus died and the best was still yet to come. I propose that even in your greatest place of loss, even if you'll never see your loved one again this side of heaven, even if this or that happens, you don't understand, the story's still not over, and the very thing that the enemy is meant to take you out with can be the very thing that actually fulfills your destiny. I remember one pause, I've never told this publicly, but I remember teaching this in a DTS, and a girl comes and she says, my mom died recently. She said, I was totally walking away from the Lord. She was the most holy woman you could imagine. She was the only Christian in our family. So my mom died. And that's why I'm in DTS today. That's why my sister and brother are in DTS. And that's why my dad is fully serving Jesus. I was like, dang. She goes, she went to heaven. I don't know if any of us would have went to heaven had she not died. You're just like, what a perspective. Why did God allow the most 
Come on, there's a bigger story being written here. So in this place, again, Jesus, he's raised from the dead three days later. <laughs> and the disciples, where does he find them? He finds them all back doing what they did before, back in their old lifestyles, back to their old jobs. And he, there's, there's, Jesus walked the earth for 40 days and 40 nights before he ascended to heaven. And there's these different accounts of him appearing. But the best one I like the most is that the guys were out in the boat fishing back to their old life. And they've heard rumor that Jesus is alive, but they don't believe it. But all of a sudden they look and they see him standing on the shore and they're flipping out. Like, what? He's back? And they're trying to get to shore and they jump out of the boat and they're running. And then, because you know that moment when you know you backslid and you're like, what's he going to do? You're like, fail, fail. I can't look at him. I don't know. But here he is waiting for him. Come on, boys. Bring it in. Bring it in. I forgive you. Group hug. They're all like, yes, I'm forgiven. Jesus is back. Everything's good. You know, they're having that moment. They look behind and they see a fire going. He'd already started cooking them breakfast on the beach because he's a breakfast cooking God. He'd already prepared. And then they have these different accounts, you know. And then it gets towards those 40 days and Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's starting to prepare them for his exit. And he's saying, hey, guys, um, it's better. I'm, I'm going to go away. They're like, what? You just got back. Yeah, but I'm going to go to be with the Father. No, that's not a good idea. Yeah, because if I don't go, he won't come. So? You're the son of God. Yeah, but I'm going to send forth the promise of my Father. He's going to come upon you. And you're going to receive my power. What? Hey, guys, the, everyone who believes in me, they're going to do what I did. And greater things than that will they do. Now, Jesus, you must have lost your mind in that grave. <laughs> because greater things will we do. Shoot, we can't even do what you do. How in the heck are we going to do greater things? Did you see what happened last time you left? We bailed. I know, but it's to your advantage that I go. I don't think so. It's definitely to our advantage that you're here. <laughs> think about this, guys. This is the son of God. He just went to hell, took back the keys from death, hell, and the grave, was resurrected. And he's telling them, it's better for you that I go. Because if I don't go, he won't come. Crazy thought. <laughs> and so they're like, what is he talking about? And he says, guys, I'm going to go, but I want you to go into Jerusalem. And you're going to wait for the promise. When he comes upon you, he's going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and you will receive my power. So go in this city and wait to be clothed with power from on high. So they go out to this field. Jesus is, I don't know, he, he decides when he goes to be with the Father to have a dramatic exit, and he literally is beamed up. You know, and they're like, bye, Jesus. Bye, guys. I'll be back. Right? Then they have a long walk back to Jerusalem, like Jesus is gone. You know, like when you drop your buddy off at the airport and you're the one that's getting left behind, and you're like, man, it's a long drive home. That's what they're having. Long, they're like, go to the prayer room and wait for it. I don't know. Peter, I mean, remember what happened last time? A dove flew out of the sky, and then Jesus went in the wilderness and didn't eat food for 40 days, and then Satan showed up. I don't know about this. What's it going to look like? Because they don't know. It hasn't happened yet. 
So they are waiting for something that Jesus said was coming, though they don't know when, where, how, what it looks like. They're just doing it. So they get 120 believers. And they're waiting in the prayer room in the morning. And the scholars and study, we think it was about 9 a.m. Somewhere in there, 9, 10. And, you know, they're just trying. They're waiting for, like, what? Is somebody going to come? Like a person? The dove going to fly? Coo. I don't know. And instead, they're just, you know, Jesus is, they're trying to stay awake. And suddenly, suddenly, a noise like a violent rushing wind rips through the house where they're sitting. Okay, pause. It wasn't like, somebody feel that. More Lord. I think I feel a wind. No, they're, they're just like, all of a sudden, suddenly. There's no time to like, hmm, I wonder if this is God. <laughs> Inside a house, a storm appears. A noise, like violent, 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 <laughs> violent rushing wind. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, storms and firebolts aren't very gentlemanly-like. I mean, yes, he is, but he's God, and he's a fire, and he's a storm, and he's, and, and it rips through the house where they're sitting. And then if that's not crazy enough, firebolts come out of the ceiling and begin to rest. What does resting firebolts look like? I don't know, but tongues of fire come out of the ceiling and begin to hit them on the top of their head. They're like, dude, your head, get down. You know, firebolts, wind. They're like, ah, I don't know. But it went on for a little while. But see, right outside the door, there was all, it was Jerusalem council was going on. All the religious leaders from the surrounding nations had gathered together for their religious meetings in Jerusalem. And it says that this is so violent and wild that they could hear it all through the city. And so people start gathering around the place going, what the heck is going on in there? They're kind of like, huh? This building is crazy. And all of a sudden around noon, it's like the door flies open and here they come. Here comes Peter. Why? He was just in a storm. What would you feel? I know when I've uh, been on the boat all summer, I got sea legs, you know. You're like, whoa, you can barely stand up. For real, it's a weird feeling. So they're coming out, and the religious leader's like, huh, it's, it's only noon and you're drunk? How disgusting. And Peter's like, huh, yeah. We are not drunk as you suppose. In the last days, you'll pour out his spirit on all flesh, and his sons and daughters will prophesy. And his, he begins to preach the gospel, and power hits the city, and people instantly start repenting of their sins and becoming followers of Jesus. And the whole New Testament church was changed for all of human history. When you look at the life of Peter before that day, and you look at the life of Peter after that day, everything changed. He went from a dysfunctional, argumentative, insecure, to one of the greatest apostles, right, that lived a martyr's life. Why do you think that this is such a controversial subject in a lot of the church? Remember I told you, Satan's worst fear is you're going to figure out who you are and become it. In the last days, he'll pour out a spear on all flesh. Listen, we don't got time to just argue 
We don't have time to debate. We don't have time to do... We don't have time to pretend like he's a toy. We don't have time to pretend like he's a manifestation of a goosebump. We don't have time to say, I don't know if he really wants to do this or not. He says that he will, his heart is that all men would know. You guys, this is the power. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me. On the day of Pentecost, the world was changed forever, whether they were clothed with power from on high. And they were speaking in languages they didn't know how to speak. And we're going to keep going. So, Acts 2. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But we're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, he was given the responsibility of taking the place of Jesus on the earth. Jesus, you know, it's like, where's Jesus? In my heart. Well, yes, but he's actually seated at the right hand of the Father. <laughs> he, he's not in my heart in the sense of my heart now belongs to him right so it's the holy spirit but yes he's in me the same spirit that raised the spirit that raised christ from the dead is the holy spirit that's what's in me but he's my lord and my savior he's the king of all kings and the lord of all lords he's the lover of my soul he's all of that but he's seated at the right hand of the father and he's actually coming back and uh my opinion is it's a little sooner today than it was yesterday so the holy spirit's here though on earth with where Jesus was, and he reveals and shows Jesus to the world. So everything that the Jesus does, I mean, the Holy Spirit does, is he points to Jesus. If he doesn't point to Jesus, it's not the Holy Spirit. If he doesn't point to himself, he points to Jesus, just like everything Jesus did pointed to the Father. So everything the Holy Spirit's doing is to draw people to Jesus. He demonstrates and does the works that Jesus did. So all through the miracles, signs, and wonders, all the things that Jesus did, is now the Holy Spirit doing it through us. So in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit in the original language is called this word parokletos. And that word that Jesus called, it has many meanings. But one of them is the comforter. He's your comforter. It means that he's your standby. He's the one that stands next to you. It says that he's your advocate. He's the one that goes before you. He's your intercessor. He's praying for you. He's your teacher. He's teaching you. He's your friend. He's your guide. He's your counselor. He's your strengthener. He's your leader, he's your helper, and he's your partner. You know, people are like, I don't know if I can go under all the world. I need this, I need that. I'm like, well, I've really been through a lot. I just need some comfort. He's your comforter. Yeah, but I don't have anybody next to me, but he's your standby. I need someone to go before me. He's your advocate. Man, I need some intercessors. Yep, he's your intercessor. I need some good teaching. He's your teacher. Man, I have to leave my friends. Oh, he's your friend. I don't know where to go, but he's your guide. Lord knows I need counseling. He's your counselor. I feel so weak. He's your strengthener. I need someone to lead me. Well, he's your leader. Help. He's your helper. I'm single. He's your partner. He gives you all that you need. Now we need each other in the body. The Holy Spirit inside of me needs sometimes the Holy Spirit inside of you. Right? So we need each other for sure. But you realize that he actually gave us every single thing that we need to live in the fullness of our calling, to be in the perfect will of God, and do everything that he's assigned us to do. See, the first thing he does is he saves us. But the main thing after that is that he's called us to do what he did. And sometimes we're like, why is this stuff happening on the earth? Why isn't the Christians doing anything about it? Why isn't there more miracles? Probably because they're not letting them out. Why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? I don't think it's Jesus' fault when he gave us everything that we ever needed to do everything he said to do. Right? Again, what's his worst fears? You're going to realize what's inside of you. 
So the Holy Spirit has the qualities of a person. He has a mind and a will and emotions. He speaks, he bears witness, and he testifies, and he makes intercession. I have Bible verses for every single one of those. I just, for the sake of time today, I'm going to, you can get them on my notes, and I want you to go look up every one of these if you can. Because he has a mind, he has a will and emotions, he bears witness, he testifies, and he makes intercession. He also has the feelings of a person. He can be grieved, he can be insulted, he can be lied to, he can be preached against, he can be resisted, he can be made mad, he can be quenched. Now, again, he's not emotional, like me and you might be emotional. Everything would be holy and pure and good, but he does get mad over human trafficking. It does. It's a righteous indignation. Sometimes we feel that not on my watch is children going to be prostituted. It's like there's something that comes in there that goes, "Mm mm-mm, right? He can be vexed. He can be made mad. He can be lied to. I wouldn't recommend it. I don't know if you've read the story of in the New Testament when people lied to, mm-mm, not a good idea. They died. It's really funny because I'm prophetic and I'm known for that. And sometimes people won't look at me in the eyes. I'm like, you're kind of giving yourself away a little bit right now. But uh, they're like, well, I'm afraid of what you're going to see. I'm like, listen, I'm Amy. I only see a little bit. He's God. And he's all-seeing and all-knowing. And if you're worried about what I'm going to see, we're in trouble. If you, if you don't worry about what he's seeing, honey, like, think about this for a minute. This is ridiculous. I'm a human being that probably doesn't even see what you think I see, but he is God. Come on now. Just saying. The Holy Spirit is a divine person indwelling in the Christian and working within us to fulfill the will of God. Every person's calling in this room is impossible for you to fulfill in and of yourself. Or then you would get the glory. Right? He's, our whole lives are meant to get God, give God glory. So he calls us to do things that are impossible for us to do without the Holy Spirit's help. Because that's how he actually gets the glory from our lives. He glories in my weakness every day. Right? It's people can't go, well, the reason all these movements happen was, you know, look at the family Amy's from. And how's the, no. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, she can do it. Dear Lord, I think I could do it. Right? So that's the thing is he glories in our weakness. So sometimes if we ever have that tendency to do things that we think we can do, our lives will never give God the glory in the way that if we start doing the things that he's called us to do that we can't do without him. So fear of failure doesn't work so well. Fear of man doesn't work so well. That's why we have to lean into him and go, God, if you don't show up, this ain't happening. Right? Okay. So he's, in, he's, so he's the nicest man I know. First he saves me. Then it gives me his very spirit. So one of the greatest things we need to understand and possess is a personal relationship with the third person, the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, to actually really know him. Now we see different symbols in the word of, of the Holy Spirit. One of those symbols is the water in John seven thirty eight, which represents like that life-giving flow. We see him like fire, which represents the holiness of God, Matthew three eleven. We see him like the wind or the breath of God. A revival, renewal, inspiration, Acts 2.2. We see him like oil, which represents the anointing in Luke 4.18. We see him like the dove, which represents the nature of purity and peace, Luke 3.22. We see him like the finger of God that points to specific areas and identifies certain places, which represents power, Matthew 12.28. So we see these symbols of the Holy Spirit in the word. Now that's why 
You know, ministry night is something that I started about 11 years ago. I'm not doing it now. I've got to pass it on to the next. But it's something that me and a few people here started. And it's gone on for all these years. It's one of the funnest nights, in my opinion. But, uh, I, you know, it's like a big room like that. You're like, Holy Spirit's moving. And you're like, looks like chaos to me. I thought he was a God of order. Yeah, he's not confused. <laughs> he knows exactly what he's doing. He's in order. Right? Just because it's my version of confusion isn't his given version of confusion. Well, I thought he doesn't cause confusion. No, that ain't him. <laughs> so it's like over, well, over there in the room, you're like, wow, that person looks like they're in the river. <laughs> they're just like, woo, life-giving flow. And the person next to him's like trembling and crying. You're like, what? Fire God's on them. Look over there, and you're like, whoa, that person looks like they're anointing, and they look like they're about to take a nap right next to the guy that looks like he's about to freak out. Why? Because he's not doing one thing. He's doing what you need him to do. That's why comparing your experience with somebody else's is going to keep you from the fullness of what you have. Comparison is a killer of revival. Because you're focused on somebody else instead of on what God has in for you. So oftentimes you don't even know what you need. So it's like, God, I need the fire. He goes, "Uh -uh. (laughs) he needs the peace. Sometimes you're like, God... I'm going to know you're real if you slay me in the spirit. First of all, slay is a weird word, but I'm not, going to, I'm not only going to know if you're real if this happens. He's like, who are you to tell me if I'm real based on what you want me to do? People are like crying. What's wrong? He doesn't love me. What? What did you do? What do you mean he doesn't love you? I mean, he loves, like, soldiers in Africa that have, like, murdered Christians and babies. I mean, he's forgiven them. What did you do? You guys think about that. If you ever thought he doesn't love me, that's the most ridiculous thing in the whole world. How is that even possible? It's not even possible. I'm like, you could quit crying now. He loves you. Why would you think he doesn't love you? I don't feel him. Oh, honey, he's not a feeling. He's God oh just because you don't feel him makes him not true and love you okay listen I've been married five years early in our marriage you know want to get one if I want to get in a fight is if I ever told my husband you don't love me he'd be like who the heck do you think you are telling me who I don't love and love why would you say that I'm like I don't feel it well it's not a feeling it can be it's a part of our feelings but that's not what it is. So in that situation, it might mean my husband needs to learn to love me in the way that I receive. They write whole books on it. But sometimes it has nothing to do with him. It has everything to do with me. I'm dealing with rejection. I'm dealing with insecurity. I'm being selfish. I want it to feel this way, and it's not. So therefore, I'm saying you don't love me because I'm not getting something that I need the way I wanted. doesn't make it true. Right? So sometimes we're like, you know, I've been through the prayer line. Listen, I've, like I said, I've gotten every kind of person you could imagine through here over the years. It's like this tiny little Baptist pastor's daughter that's eyes that big, terrified out of her mind. She's like, can I please have the dove? And you're like, come, Holy Spirit. And he shows up like fire. I didn't do that. Like, she's like, comes the fieriest preacher I've ever seen, you know. And she's just, and then there's this dude that's like, come on, bring it, the fire of God. I'm like, Peace. He's like, ah, goes through inner healing. 
Guys, the best thing to do is, Holy Spirit, come like you want to come. I just want you, all of you. I want the fire. I want the dove. I want the oil. I want the wind. I want all of it. And I'm not going to look at my neighbor and go, oh, nobody has time for self-pity, you guys. It's just, nah. Listen, we can't go there. We're going to get wild here in a little bit. Some of you might have the most significant encounter you've had yet in about 45 minutes. But here's the deal. Don't compare. All right, some may fall, some may stand, some may cry, some may look like statues. Listen, I just got back from Brazil. If I walk up in Brazil and I'm like, hi, my name is Amy, come Holy Spirit. It looks like a revival just happened, right? I go to Norway, do the same thing. If you see their toe tap, you might know you're in revival. <laughs> Norwegians come up to me like this. I'm being gripped by God. <laughs> really? Fire is all through my entire being. I'm like, I would have never known. Right? They're like, I am changed forever. Never the same. You're like, go God, right? You're just like, huh? So if you are a minister of the gospel and you ever judge how good a meeting is based on people's manifestations, you're never really going to get it. I'm like, give me the hardest. Give me the hardest. And this is the thing. It's actually the easiest. But that's why I'm like, what if this is, I'll be real, what if this is all like a power suggestion? Because I'm from the charismatic. So I'm like, I'm going to the Amish. They aren't going to believe me if I told them anything like this. They're not fakers, <laughs> that's for sure. Three days of meetings. A little altar call. Don't ever even say anything about some of this. Watching them get gripped, shaking under the power of God while praying in tongues. And you're just going, it's real, it's real, it's real, it's real, it's real. You know, right? So I go into all the spheres. Let's try this out in a board meeting. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> he showed up. Watching a conservative NFL quarterback getting gripped with the fire of God, shaking as he goes down under the power. That's fun. He doesn't go, hmm, what denomination are you? I guess I can't show up there. Mm -hmm. No, he doesn't read your denomination. He reads your heart. Come on now. It's like fire in my bones already up here. I can feel it. All right. So the Holy Spirit wants to draw people to Jesus, John 16, 8. He wants to regenerate. That's that constant renewing that's going on inside of you. In Titus 3, 5, the Holy Spirit dwells with every believer. The Holy Spirit seals the believer. That seals the sign of possession to be possessed by the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm out of control. It just means I've given him control, right? So it doesn't mean that, like, I'm not doing this. It's more of, like, you, he's my king. He's my Lord. The Spirit is who guides me and leads me, not me. He infills the believer, Ephesians 5.18. He guides the believer, Romans 8.14. The Holy Spirit empowers the believer, Acts 1.8. Now, I'm going to read this real fast, so you can't keep up with me. Just listen. The Holy Spirit wants to aid you, assist you, help you, guide you, lead you, give you revelation of Scripture, release His gifts through you, give you boldness, teach you, strengthen you, refresh you, empower you, anoint you, protect you, fellowship with you, help you pray, give you rest, give you wisdom, reveal Jesus in your life, be your friend, and comfort you. <laughs> People are like, yeah, I don't think I need Holy Spirit. I'm like, what are you going to do? And then how are you going to do it? That's so sad to think that you don't think you need the Holy Spirit. I mean, I don't know how to do any of this without the Holy Spirit. 
He's my best friend. All right. So Jesus, the Son of God, needed the Holy Spirit. How much more do we need him? The Son of God needs the Holy Spirit. How much more do we need him? So every single person that's born again has had the Holy Spirit in operation in their life. All right? So I'm going to move into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling, all of that. So, everyone good? Okay. So every person has the Holy Spirit because you don't even get saved without it. In other words, is this. Who do you think is the one that convicts you that you need a Savior? It's the Holy Spirit. I can walk down on Elite E Drive right now and start praying for lost people, and they can actually experience and feel the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make them saved. They can just feel it. I've done it a lot over the years where people are going, what is this? I feel heat. I feel an energy. I feel this. I feel that. What is that? They're actually feeling and encountering in their physical body or in their heart or emotions the Holy Spirit. Now, the conviction comes, and they give their life to Jesus. So every person that's been saved has had an encounter with the Holy Spirit one way or the other. And so when we get saved, we become followers of Jesus. Jesus is now the Lord of our life. It doesn't mean that, well, I only have Jesus, and I, and I don't have the Father or the Son. Listen, they come as a package deal. In other words, as if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all that stuff that I'm talking about, he guides you, assists you, helps you, leads you. All of that is our personal relationship. It's our rights. It's our inheritance. It's the things that we have just as being Christians. So every born-again Christian has access to all of that. Now, there is a different thing, that not every born-again Christian has had the experience of being clothed with power from on high which is a separate experience following salvation. Now, I'm very used to all the questions that come along with this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through this teaching, and then if we have time, I'll take questions. If we don't have time, um, then we can, I'll take questions tomorrow. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate experience, or a supernatural equipping with power from heaven to empower the Christian for effective witness and service. So I'm going to read Acts 2. Even though we had fun with it earlier, I'm actually going to read it out. And, when, and so Acts 2, verse 1. And when the day at Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now Acts 1.8, but you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit will give you the enablement and the power to do the works that Jesus did on the earth. It will give you the anointing and the spiritual enablement to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Tomorrow I'm teaching on the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. The word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, faith, healing, and miracles, and prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. So I'm going to unfold all of that. But when you have been clothed with power and filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, you then have the ability to operate in the gifts of the Spirit as the Spirit directs and gives them. So through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, receive God's power to heal the sick, cast out demons, do supernatural miracles, witness and win the lost, to boldly preach the gospel, and to flow in the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. Acts 1a, you shall receive power. We need to be clothed in power because religion can't set our generation free from the bondage and the demonic things that have come against them. We need Holy Spirit power to do that. So why does he want us to flow in this power? 
Okay, first of all, the power has nothing to do with your identity or, your, or his love for you. That you get at salvation. That, that guy, that counselor, that leader, that helper, and that partner. But the power isn't for you. It's like, as it's for me to have power. No, the power is for you to do what Jesus did. It's for you to do the ministry on your life. It's for you to go into all the world and preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. So the reasons that he wants us to flow in power is to show forth his love and compassion in meeting the needs of suffering humanity, the sick, the lost, the possessed, the oppressed, the afflicted, and the hopeless. It's to evangelize the world and reach the unreached. It's to destroy the works of the enemy and set people free from bondage and demonic forces. And it's to supernaturally build up, strengthen, and edify the church. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate experience following salvation. I'm going to read in scripture to show you what I mean by that. Um, and that it doesn't automatic. That you don't get clothed with power when you become saved. It's that it's a separate thing. I'm saying, Holy Spirit, clothe me with power. Jesus is the baptizer. And so I'm going to read this scripture in Acts 8, verse 12 through 17. So, here we go. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God, and in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Pause. So they're being baptized in water, right here. So in the Bible, when people became followers of Jesus, then they were baptized in water. To say that I'm dying to my old man, and I'm raised again in Christ. That means I'm born again. And the reason that it says men and women alike is because of the time of history that it was in. They wanted to make sure that we understood that salvation wasn't just for men, that it was for men, women, and children, anyone that understood what was happening, that they had access to salvation, and so they're being baptized in water. So even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized in water, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not fallen on any of them. They had simply just been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So what that says to me is they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. It says right here. They'd only been baptized in water. So in other words, they've only been saved. He hadn't yet come on them. So they sent them Peter and John who went down, and when they laid hands on them, they began to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That word baptism, we'll get to in a minute. Now, for all of our European friends and people from other countries, that baptism is a very, it can be different, seen differently in different countries. And as a leader on the campus, I have to say is that we believe fully in full water baptism. And we also believe that anyone that's born again that is following Jesus can baptize people. But we don't do that here as YOMers for one reason. It's because we are bringing unity to the global body. And in a lot of denominations, especially in Europe, baptism is associated with membership and being a part of a church. Now, we don't necessarily agree with that, that is, that's the way to do it, but we still honor them because it's part of the culture in that. And so what we never want as leaders in YWAM is for churches and families and places at home to think that we're baptizing you into YWAM. That's not what we're doing, right? So if you do want to be baptized in water, there is a way that we can arrange that through a, an ordained pastor here on island that we can set that thing, that we can set that up, all right? First of all, we want you to know that it's not because we don't believe that you can all do it. We surely do, and on outreach, fair game, but, um, <laughs> right? But just to let you know, when I say baptized, now, really quick, baptism in water doesn't save you, right? So you can't. I mean, I'm going to get myself in trouble sometimes, but that's why we don't, infant baptism doesn't save somebody. 
You can't be baptized an infant and be saved because you have to acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior, right? So people may can do that in the place of, you know, you're dedicating almost like a baby dedication, that, you're, that your parents are dedicating to, your God, to God, but it's not actually saving your soul, okay? That only you can profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Someone can't do that for you. So we, get, we believe in full water baptism and that we go fully under and fully up to say, I'm dead to my old man, I'm raised again in Christ. Now when we say baptism in the Holy Spirit, it's the same idea. Almost think of like, because the Holy Spirit's like water, right? Think of him like you're being fully immersed, fully dipped in or dipped under in the Spirit and you're clothed with power. We use two words interchangeably and that's baptism in the Holy Spirit, but sometimes it's better if we say filled, infilling. But really what it means is to be clothed with power from on high. Now, because we are a mission that believes in this Holy Spirit and we're all about all of this, oftentimes when we lead people to Jesus, we get them saved, they get baptized in water, and we pray for them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit all in the same hour. So it's not like you have to wait a certain amount of time to be prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's just that a lot of people are from churches that aren't preaching this, so they don't get this part. So even YWAM, why we, this subject is, or this week is so important, is because a lot of you come from backgrounds that that's not something that's happened yet. And so that's why we make this such an important part, because you're about to go into all the world and do what he said to do. We need to be clothed with power. How else are you going to do it, right? All right, so it's a separate experience following salvation. Now, sometimes people ask me, like, wait a minute. You tell me my church doesn't have the Holy Spirit? I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. Are people being saved? Are people being healed on a regular basis? Delivered? Something? Now, you can be love Jesus, preach the Bible, all this, but you will know because the signs follow those who believe, right? So I'm never going to be like, Spirit, not, not, right? Mm-mm. Listen, I'll get that in a minute. All right. <laughs> Baptism in the Holy Spirit is a free gift available for every Christian and is received by faith. Luke eleven thirteen, 13, Acts 2, 38. So people will ask me, well, how do I know if I have? Well, how do you know you're saved? Faith. Now, sometimes there's an, an encounter that comes with it that you're like, that was real. So sometimes there's people that, well, a lot of people experience something that they lets them know this really happened. But I know lots of people that were prayed for and didn't feel anything but began to walk in power. So the Lord Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, Matthew 3.11. Jesus promised all believers rivers of living water, the Bible experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, John 7.38. So receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit is accompanied by the believer praying in tongues. Acts 10, 44 through 46, Acts 19, 6. Dun, 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 dun. Here comes tongues, right? So, here we go. Listen, guys, if I was God, I would have been like, don't, don't do the tongues thing, because everyone freaks out about it. Right? It's funny to me. I'm like, if that's, this is the deal, guys. Well, no, I'm going to keep going. I'll get back to the deals. I'll get back to the deals. <laughs> All right. So here's what the New Testament teaches. Now, sometimes we think it was people say, well, it was a one-time thing. No, it wasn't. Read the New Testament. On the day of Pentecost, 120 believers were filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues, Acts 2, 4. Eight years after Pentecost, the new converts in Samaria received, uh, received the Spirit and spoke in tongues, Acts 2, 4. 
Eight years after Pentecost, the new converts in Samaria received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Acts 8, 12 through 19. The believers at Samaria received the baptism in the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. And although tongues is not mentioned, we know that Simon saw supernatural evidence that the new converts had received the Holy Spirit. At Damascus, three days after being born again, Paul received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Acts 9, 17. Paul received the baptism in the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. And although tongues isn't mentioned in this scripture, we know clearly from other scriptures that he did speak in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 18. So, 10 years after Pentecost, Cornelius and the Gentiles received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Acts 10, 44 through 46. Cornelius and his household received the Holy Spirit by the hearing of the preaching of the word of God. 20 years after Pentecost, the believers at Ephesus received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, Acts 19, 1 through 6. These disciples at Ephesus received the baptism in the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands, spoke in tongues, and prophesied. So we see this wasn't a one-time thing on the day of Pentecost that it continued to happen. Now some of you in here, you pray in tongues all the time, but you don't really know why. Here's, some, here's seven reasons. Now I'm sure there's lots more, but here's seven benefits as to why we pray in tongues. Like, what's the point? Why do we want this? Praying in tongues is a supernatural means of direct communication with God. 1 Corinthians 14.2 says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Here's the deal, is that praying in the Spirit, you don't know in your mind what you're saying. So therefore, you cannot mess it up. It's perfect, right? So it's your spirit bypassing all the spiritual warfare, all of this, and going direct to God. It's your spirit to God's spirit. Praying in tongues enables us to intercede effectively for ourselves and for others according to the will of God. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what we should pray, but that his spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which can't be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, right here, it says groanings that can't be uttered. That doesn't necessarily mean praying in the spirit. But in that place of like, I don't know what I should always pray. So sometimes, I'm like, God, I just got to pray in my prayer language because I don't know. what. It's like, my family is jacked sometimes. You know, you're just like, I just got to pray that God will come. And I pray perfect prayer. I'm interceding with Jesus who's at the right hand of the Father. I'm joining with the intercession on behalf of that nation, that people group, my family, whatever the situation is. Praying in tongues helps us to. Sorry, I already read that one. Praying in tongues gives us the ability to worship the Lord in an unlimited way. 1 Corinthians 14, 15, John 4, 24. It's like, you know, you're around in the prayer room. Sometimes some of you are like, why do they keep saying the same word over and over and over again? Well, first of all, because it's getting in your spirit, it's a breakthrough, right? But there's times where I'm like, I don't know what to sing anymore. We'll just start. Worshiping in your prayer language. It's this unlimited flow of worship. You never run out of things to say. Praying in tongues is a supernatural means of edifying and building ourselves up spiritually. It keeps our spirit strong in God. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. It's like, build, it's like working out. It's like you're building up your spirit. And your spirit gets stronger, your flesh gets weaker. Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues helps us to effectively resist temptation and overcome the flesh. Galatians 5.16 and 5.25. Next time you're tempted to do something you shouldn't, look at something you shouldn't, pray in the Spirit for 10 minutes. I don't think that you'll want to, 
It literally drives the enemy away. If every time the enemy tempted you, it caused you to run into the Holy of Holies, he'd quit chasing you there. He's hoping it will do the opposite. Praying in tongues brings about spiritual refreshing, renewal, and rest for the weary. Sometimes, I mean, I'm not a very good napper. My husband is, but I'm not. Sometimes just praying in tongues for 15 minutes is like taking a power nap. Praying in tongues causes the gifts, power, and anointing of God to be released in our life. John 7, 38 and 1 Corinthians 12, 1. So it's like, well, this is good. So why do we want to have prayer languages? Because it helps unleash in the rivers of supernatural power. It's direct communication with God. It edifies our spirit. helps us overcome the flesh. It brings refreshing, and we can pray God's will. And it releases worship to God and opens the doors of the gifts of the spirit. So that's why we should. Now, here's the deal, guys, is that this is available to every Christian that wants it. Now, tomorrow, I am going to teach on the gift of tongues, which is different than what I'm talking about right now. Now, it's still tongues, but it's like this. Every person can hear God's voice that's a Christian. Do you guys believe that? Yep. That a sheep hear his voice, right? So if every Christian can hear God's voice, can't every Christian hear God's voice for somebody else? Yep. Yeah? So if, every, so if everybody can hear God's voice for someone else, it doesn't mean you have the spirit of prophecy just means that you're a Christian, you can hear God's voice, and you can be encouraging to the people next to you. Those that actually have the spirit of prophecy are those that are called to get up and give public words, right? So only some people are called to get up and give public tongues. But everyone has access to their personal prayer language in God. But only some have the gift of tongues, which is meant to be given in a public way, which would then need the interpretation of tongues. So tongues, you only need the interpretation of tongues as if you're giving, oh, you're talking to the people. You're giving a word to the people, okay? So we are a spirit-filled movement, especially here in Kona. And when we're in the prayer room or we're in class and we're all going to pray, we're like, everyone, we're praying right now for, you know, Nepal. And if anyone in here has a prayer language, we're going to pray out loud. And everybody's praying in the spirit or whatever they're praying. Well, you don't need an interpretation because you're not talking to anybody, you're just praying. The only time that you need interpretation is for someone needs to understand what God's saying to them. Now, again, if I was God, I probably wouldn't have done it because it gets, I don't understand why people get so bad out of shape about it. But he did. This is him. This is God created this as a gift, as a supernatural sign. This is truly in the heart of God. It's not a take it, take it, leave that part. But I will say this. The true thing of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is about being clothed with power. It is not about speaking in tongues. It's one of the things that happens, but it's just one of the things that happens. And in the theological term, it's called the initial physical evidence. In other words, oftentimes it's the first supernatural evidence that people see an outward sign that that person was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because most of the time they're not going to turn around and do a miracle the next second. Sometimes that happens, but most of the time the first thing that supernatural that happens is they have the ability to then pray in tongues. Now, I don't believe that you have to. Listen, I, I resigned from the first denomination I was a part of and got reordained, non-denominational, for a few reasons, slightly one of them, is that I don't believe that you have to speak in tongues in order to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Though I do believe that you can, I don't believe you have to. So this is what I would say, is I would much rather you walk in power and not speak in tongues than speak in tongues and not walk in power. Okay? So I want you to do both. But if this is like, listen, I can handle all of this. I just can't handle this part. That's okay. You have to understand is 
is that when you, especially there are people that are from backgrounds that not only did they not do it, but it was actually preached it was demonic. Sometimes that can be hard to like, you need more time, right? God understands that. He doesn't say, well, you're full of doubt and unbelief unless that is what it is, but that's between you and God. I'm not judging you. So nobody in here has to feel the pressure to do this. You have to understand is that you're not a lesser Christian. You're not a lesser anything. So, and also students in here, if there's somebody that isn't there yet, please do not put pressure on them to make them feel like they're less in any way, shape, or form, all right? So we don't, we don't do that here. That's ever been done. I'm sorry, but that is not, as leadership, that is not what we want you to ever feel. But we're opening the door to say this is available to every person, and here's why we do this. So, again, the word baptized means to be immersed, being clothed with, being filled up to overflowing, being fully covered with, being overwhelmed by, and to be dipped in or dipped under. So Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. We want to be so full there's no empty place inside of us. It also means to be continually filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. It says the disciples were continually filled. So the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every born again Christian. So people in often ask me this, well, I've prayed before, and I've prayed in tongues, and I have a prayer language. Does that mean I'm done? Like, I don't need anything? Well, the good news is we're continually filled. So it's like this, people that get saved, you get saved, but it's like for the rest of your life, you get to discover more of God. And sometimes it's like, how many of you, you know, you're saved, you grew up in a Christian home, but in DTS, you're like, I feel like I just got born again again. Why? Because there's revelation you're having that you never had before, and it's, you're under, coming into a greater understanding of who he is. Well, it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. You'll have encounters with God or, or initial things, but all throughout your life, there's more. That's that continually filled to overflowing that we have access to, which makes it awesome. If you're ever a bored Christian, then I don't think you know the same God I know. Sometimes I just wish for one day of boredom. I could just do something. Uh-uh. I am so busy. It's so crazy. He's not boring. Um, all right. So another aspect that, I, that I've been talking about is the baptism of power what we call the baptism of fire. Matthew 3.11 and 3.16 says they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire will burn up the things in you that shouldn't be there. It will change your ungodly passions to godly passions. It's that cleansing, jealous love of God. It renews us. It brings that zeal. Now, in a minute when we pray for people... Uh, there's going to be a number of you that are going to have the manifestation of power, I mean of fire. What will happen is your temperature will be normal and then we'll, you'll get hot in one second. It's like you're burning up. I've never heard anybody say that was horrible, but it's sometimes it's very strange when you're like, I'm, I feel like I'm on fire. Like literally your temperature goes through the roof. That's a very common manifestation because he's baptizing you with the Holy Spirit and fire, right? And that's that part where you're like, cleanse me, God. You know, in certain charismatic movements, I see people walk around, they're like, fire, fire. I'm like, do you know what you're saying? You're saying, cleanse me, God. Purify me, God. If you want that, awesome. But that's not usually a pleasant experience in the sense of he's aligning you. He's cleansing you. He's saying you can no longer do this anymore. It's the fire of God that actually changes you. We want this, but I'm just saying it's not like, woo. oftentimes when the fire comes, it's intense, it's life-changing, it brings you into a place where you're going, my life is not my own, right? And we want a fiery generation. 
So the purpose of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is the power to live an overcoming life, to witness for Jesus, to fulfill the Great Commission, heal the sick, cast out demons, do everything that Jesus did. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're supernaturally empowered to witness for Jesus, Acts 1.8. The Bible becomes a living book and Jesus becomes more real, John 16.13. So a lot of us read the word, obviously we should, everybody was reading the word, but sometimes when we get, when we have the experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, we do, the word becomes more alive because the Holy Spirit wrote it. So at any moment he can lean over your shoulder and say, you want to know what I meant when I wrote that? Right? Because the word of God is literally living. It's God breathed. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so oftentimes our, our Bible reading takes on a whole other level. We are anointed with a divine ability to do the works of Jesus. John 14, 12. Our prayer life takes on a new and deeper dimension. Acts 8, 26 and 27. We're equipped to flow in the supernatural gifts of the spirit to tear down the kingdom of the enemy and build up the kingdom of God. Mark 16, 17 through 20. So... Sometimes people, when they, I've, or we've, they'll say, hey, I, I was prayed for and I spoke in tongues when I was prayed for, but I never did again. Why is that? Well, it's because you didn't keep doing it. And so the thing is, is you can pray, you can choose, to consciously choose to pray in your prayer language anytime, okay? So it's not like it doesn't come upon you every time. It's like you're making the conscious choice to do this. For those of you that don't, it's not like, it's not like the Holy Spirit's going to come take over your mouth and make it move like, what's going on, right? No, you're not a puppet. He doesn't do that. I always say it this way. You've got to put the sound behind it, and God will give you the words, okay? Now, when the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit, when they came upon them, they actually spoke a lot of them in real languages, spoke in other parts of the earth. They didn't know what those were. They didn't understand what they were saying, but the people around them understood because they were from the countries of the languages they were speaking. But in 1 Corinthians, it says, though I speak in the tongues of men and angels and don't have love, you know, we know that scripture, I believe that some people's prayer languages are real languages, but some people's prayer languages are heavenly languages, the tongues of men and angels. In this sense, it's still the same level of supernatural, but sometimes it's a real language, sometimes it's only spoken in heaven, and I don't know. Now, I've seen people get kind of interesting where they're trying to, like, interpret each other's tongues. No, don't, don't do that, okay? Like, if someone is speaking a word, then that, yes, it needs interpretation. If you're from China and the person speaking in tongues next to you is speaking Chinese, by all means, tell them what they're saying. That's awesome. But we have a lot of YWAM stories where people filled with the Holy Spirit are praying in tongues in other languages, and they're ending up speaking the language of the country that they're in, though they don't know what they're saying. People have led Jesus, people to Jesus this way. I mean, crazy stuff, like, had no idea. And I always say, you only need to know when you need to know right? So you never know where God may send you or what may happen. Now your prayer language can change. Over time, I've seen this happen where people's prayer languages change over time. But oftentimes, if you have the gift of tongues, when you prophesy in tongues, it changes completely. And then it goes back to your normal prayer language. I've seen that a lot. And there's a lot of things I haven't seen. So I'm, this is years and years of walking in this. I have now probably prayed for hundreds of thousands of people, maybe half a million, maybe more. If you think about it, I do this almost every other week, all over the world. Okay, I've never not had it. I've never been in a place in my whole life of doing this in a group where the majority or people weren't filled with the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues. Never once. Now, I've had lots of people that didn't, but I'm just saying it's happened everywhere I've gone. There was a lady in this tent a couple of years ago. She was, in her, she was an elderly lady, and she said, I've been asking for this my whole life, and I'm so discouraged because I haven't gotten it yet. I said, will you believe one more time? She said, yes. She instantly started praying in tongues. And a lot of people, when they do, they actually say, I could have done this all along. I just thought it would be different than it was. 
they're waiting for a certain thing to happen. Then the person next to them, it's like everything they thought was going to happen, happened. So that's why, again, it's a place of faith that we step out in faith and trust that God will do it. Now, don't obviously make it up. Like, you know, bought a Suzuki, should have bought a Honda. Might be suspicious. Right? Say hallelujah, hallelujah really fast. Still, that's not tongues. That's just you. Blah, 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 blah. And don't repeat after me. Don't do the, you know, follow what I'm saying. Now, people will often go, you know what I've noticed? That a lot of us sound the same. Personally, I've kind of went, well, if I go to different people groups, they all sound the same. It kind of makes sense to me. That there's universal words. I don't know. Listen, I'm not God. And I don't sit there and go, hmm, real or real faker? <laughs> faker, real. Come on. You know what I mean? It's like I don't got time to figure out if it's real or not. So this is what we say. You judge it by the fruit. If anything is truly God, there should be fruit in your life. So I go, well, I don't know. Well, pray in the spirit for 15 minutes a day for the next five days and see how you feel. If it's bearing fruit in your life, awesome. If it's not, okay, maybe we try again. I really am not worried that it's going to be like this, this, this weird, deceitful thing and you're grieving God. Nobody that doesn't want, you know, no one is that's going to be deceived unless they have rebellion in their heart in the sense of God's ability to keep you is stronger than the enemy's ability to deceive you right? It's when we don't lean into the body and we don't lean into him. That's where that stuff happens. Or we follow a man instead of following God. That's where that stuff happens. You think God's going to send you to do your DTS and the largest missions movement in the world so for you to be deceived? Now, come on now. You know, people will like, I don't believe in miracles. I'm like, who's doing them all then? You mean Satan's healing hundreds and hundreds of people a day and they're becoming followers of Jesus? That doesn't even make sense to me. How in the world could that not be God? That doesn't make, even if it were like, even in the wildest theological way, I can't make sense of that. It doesn't, how could you even say that? That doesn't even make sense even if you didn't know the Bible, right? Thousands and thousands of people are coming to Jesus daily with signs, wonders, and miracles and praying in tongues. This is truly him, and we see the fruit of it. All right, so. Um, don't be distracted. We're going to stay here. Uh, we're setting up for ministry time, but please don't move or anything like that. What I would love right now is to take a few questions. We have a little bit of time on that's to be related to what I've taught on today. We're going to get into gifts and all that tomorrow. But any questions before we go into the ministry time related to the baptism infilling the Holy Spirit in tongues? Okay, yep, right here. Yep. Well, I always say this, guys. I actually think God's so nice. If he faked it, he'd just turn it into your prayer language. Now, don't fake it, but I really am not worried. It's like if you're thinking, I'm going to say this sound. That's like thinking about it. In other words, I'm just going to open my mouth and make a sound. You're not thinking about it. Does that make sense? If you're like, I'm going to formulate this, you know what I mean, like that, then you're thinking about what sound you're about to make as opposed to just making this, letting sound come out of you. Does that make sense? Okay. Right here.
with the Holy Spirit? I don't know. So yep. How do we know that means pray in tongues and pray in we don't 100% know that it means to pray in tongues other than we know all throughout the New Testament that they prayed in tongues. So when I says pray in the spirit, you can take it as you can pray in tongues or you're just you're praying in the language that you know how to speak, partnering with the Holy Spirit. So even though it says pray in the spirit, it doesn't necessarily mean that means pray in tongues, but it can mean that. Does that make sense? So I know exactly why they would say that. It is because it doesn't exactly say tongues. So it's not saying pray in tongues. It's saying praying the Spirit. So that's why for those that don't pray in tongues, it doesn't mean that you can't pray in the Spirit and be in the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? Here's one more thing. Is that, you're like, well, if all these benefits are so great, why don't we only pray in tongues? Well, because your mind has to understand too. Because oftentimes when we pray, it's not really about God. It's actually about us coming to agreement with truth. Right? So oftentimes when we pray, we're getting perspective. We need to understand because our mind's being renewed. Now there's times that we pray in our, our languages that we know how to speak, and there's times that we pray in tongues, and both have benefits to them. One's not more important than the other. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes? Our soul is our emotion. It's like our, our, it's our will. It's our emotion, it's our feelings, all of that. Our spirit is our spirit, and that's where when we are, that's where we're connected to God, right? So it's like a person um, that's a follower of Jesus can have areas of their soul that are not surrendered, but they would, their spirit belongs to God. The most of the time I pray in tongues, it's alone. So here's the thing, is it would never be appropriate for you to pray in tongues out loud in an environment like Walmart, uh, a Baptist church. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you got to know who your surroundings are, okay? So if I get a call from Walmart security and say there's a group of students that are calling themselves fire and fragrance that are yelling in another language, we're going to have a meeting, okay? Because that doesn't, that brings confusion. It's about... This is a place of prayer. Now, that doesn't mean I don't walk through Walmart all the time going, you know, I'm praying in tongues under my breath. It's not bothering anybody, whatever. But you got to know your environment because we're not, we're not trying to be disruptive in that kind of way. Um, it is, so in this environment, it's appropriate. So I don't pray in tongues out loud in places that I know would bring fear or confusion because that's what love looks like. Yeah. Yes, I had already said all of that, and I'll teach on it tomorrow. Okay. You'll be baptized in the Spirit one time, but you'll be continually filled. Yep. You can have more. Incre- Oftentimes, people that it's like experiences you may have later with the Holy Spirit could be more dramatic or intense than the original baptism in the Holy Spirit. So I've seen it all types of ways. Yes. What I think about praying in tongues on the mic, unless it's a place of intercession, if we're like, right now we're all going to contend for this, and there's a person on the mic praying in the spirit and everyone else is praying in the spirit, it's appropriate because the person praying in the night on the mic isn't addressing the room, they're just agreeing in prayer, right? I'm about to pray in tongues on the mic here in just a minute. So in that place, if it, if it was only me praying on the mic and I'm giving you a word, then it would need to have an interpretation. Anybody else? Yep, back here. It's the Holy Spirit and your spirit praying together. You're partnering with the Holy Spirit. Yep. Any more questions over here? Okay, right back here. 
I actually personally believe every single Christian can pray in tongues. Some people just don't. Why? Because most, the number one reason why is they think it's going to be different than, uh, than it is. I mean, there's some people that don't ask for it. Only some people get the gift of tongues, which is meant to be used publicly as a giving a word. But I do believe that everybody that's asked for the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit has the ability to pray in tongues. So I do believe everyone can. Yes. I'm not quite sure the question that you're asking me. Yeah, so there's the Holy Spirit. You know, here's the deal is that when we come into salvation, we, the Holy Spirit's at work, but we're interacting with Jesus. You know, oftentimes people, like, when we speak on the Father heart, we're interacting with the Father. But, but really, even in that place, who we're with every day that's doing all of these things on the earth with us is the Holy Spirit. Remember that it's almost like, man, I've been addressing the wrong guy the whole time. They just pass the message. It's not like you can pray to the wrong. I've been praying to Jesus. Should it? No, it doesn't work like that. It's all this, but at the same time, it's important for us to know the, know the different roles, Right? God the creator, but they all intertwine together and they work in perfect unity. So it, yeah, sometimes when we pray, we're experiencing the Father. Sometimes when we pray, we're experiencing Jesus. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit, but even in that place, it's the Holy Spirit that's here with us on the daily. Yeah. She asked, can you see signs and miracles and stuff if you haven't been clothed in power? Well, I mean, Holy Spirit prophesied through a donkey once. I don't think he was saved. <laughs> so the reality is, is God can do anything anytime. But if you are not clothed with power, then you would not see that on a continual basis. I mean, God can make bushes catch on fire and prophesy. I mean, you have to understand that anybody at any time, like I told you the story the other day of the atheist that prayed in his name and people were healed didn't make her saved. That's why it says you can do all of these things in my name. And if you don't know me, then it doesn't work, right? So knowing him is through the relationship. So yes, it is possible, though it wouldn't be a lifestyle. Does that make sense? Okay. What's a way to initiate a conversation about the Holy Spirit with someone that, without sounding crazy? Well, I mean, already when you tell them that God created the heavens and the earth, and then he sent his own son, that already sounds crazy. So you might as well keep on the same train. You know what I'm saying? Uh, to actually say that a man died on the cross and was raised from the dead, took the whole thing sounds crazy. But that's the part of the Holy Spirit that, are you talking about a saved person? Yeah. The best way to do it is through the word, right? So it goes, okay, let's look at Acts 2 together. Let's look at this verse together. So you're looking through, it says this about the spirit. So you're taking them through the New Testament. You can use my notes, go right through it. And then to say, well, Jesus said, it already sounds crazy when Jesus said, you're going to do more than I'm going to do. How are we going to do that? So there's a way to do it without sounding like you're crazy, right? Yeah. The blasphemy in the Holy Spirit. Everybody always, what if I've done it? Trust me, nobody in here has. So, I mean, you would have, 
Listen, I've talked to many different people, theologians, all this stuff. It's one of those things that nobody, I feel like, has the perfect answer to. It would mean that you set your life towards speaking against the Holy Spirit, like preaching against the Holy Spirit, like in the sense of you are living in, in, in direct opposition and, and boldly against it, right? That's what that would mean. And whether or not it's unforgivable, I've never known anyone that, no matter how dark it was, that God didn't forgive their sins. So I personally don't fully even understand how that's possible unless they never turn to God, right? Because there's a lot of even people that I know that in the church that preached against it that now preach it, so, <laughs> right? Yeah. He came upon people, so it's like he would come upon so it says the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's within us. So it's like he comes through our hands and our feet. He still comes upon us, but it's also inside of us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Hey, yep. Because well, then it says that he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will also do. Yeah. And it's right in the same verse, and greater things will they do. Greater things will you do than I even did. So he's saying he who believes in me. He doesn't say only if he doesn't, he's saying he who. So then the next sentence, in that same sentence, he says, and greater things will you do. And I know it says you do, but he just said all, right? So we also look at it and go, again, well, who's doing all this stuff then? Right? So yeah, the sensation, here's the deal. I don't know if I should tell on him or not. One of the greater preachers of the sensationist is one of our good friends just with him this weekend, Francis Chan. Francis has told me in a personal conversation, he said, listen, even in all of our greatest sensationist training, when we would get to that part in Acts, we all kind of had to turn away a little bit because there was no way to actually interpret it the way that we were trained and not come to the conclusion that it was real. He goes, it was always the hard part. And now he's full of the Holy Spirit doing all of it with us. Yeah. Do somebody else? Yes. says when we ask for the father for a good gift he's not going to give you a stone or serpent he's going to give you a good gift so if we ask the father for a good gift then we expect that he's going to give us one so there's this place of why would he give you something bad it's not in his character and his nature so the timing he says now is the time it's that go into all the world it doesn't say in the right timing when you feel a certain way go into all the world he just says go and now we know more than ever looking at the timing of the clock and what's happening worldwide when the, literally, guys, the, the news outlets around the world are talking about what's going on right now. The front page again is of another buddy of mine that's a prophet. Today, Fox News Daily has been bringing out, it's something shifting in the earth right now. Now is the time. Yep. You go first. You yeah, we'll talk about that one tomorrow. 
Yes, and when it says they fell as though dead. So we see that even when uh, the disciples were on the mount and the transfiguration, it says they fell on their faces. They were, they were fe- anytime that you see in the New Testament it says they fell as though dead or they fell on their faces, they fell. It wasn't like they got down on their faces, it says they fell on their faces, which means they couldn't stand up, right? So we don't, the reason they use slay is because they were, they were fell as though dead, which would mean slay, dead, right? But that's a weird charismatic word to use. We can just say they, People go, why do people fall over? Guys, because they can't stand up. It's not like, this is literally that much glory. I can't stand up. So I love the questions, but we actually have to have time to pray. Or, and then I'll answer some more tomorrow. But I will say that I've watched this, guys, in every way. If you are saying, this won't happen to me, there's a good chance it won't. Because he's, he doesn't really want to violate your will. Every once in a while, he loves you so much, he goes, yeah, I want to make a bet. I'm God, because he just knows you actually want it, but you're just playing hard to get. Sometimes he'll do that, okay? But, but it's like this place of going, no matter what, if you just kind of come to this place, you go, Father, I believe you, that if you want to give a good gift, that it's going to be good. So whatever you want to do, if it's real, I want it. If it's not real, I don't. He'll honor that. So I always say that every person, if you just say, God, if it's you, I want it. Listen. I'm very gentle, I'm fierce, but I'm gentle and I will not push you. And if someone pushes you, Mama Bear Amy will show up and push them. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> no, but sometimes the Holy Spirit pushes people and I, so I try to use my fingers and my hand lightly, all of that for all of the staff and those who've come to pray. That's what I've asked them to do as well, okay? So I'm not insecure. So what, however you encounter God doesn't make me feel good about myself, okay? Like, I'm pretty secure. I don't need any courtesy fallers to make me feel more powerful. Um, but if you're like, I don't know. But if you're like, I am not going to fall, then you're concentrating on the wrong thing. Like, if I fall, I fall. If I stand, I stand. If I cry, if I laugh, I don't really care. I just want him, yeah. right? People don't want to lose control. Obviously, usually means they have some control. He's the God of self-control, which is different. You're not trying to control the spirit, but you're submitting yourself, your flesh, to God. And so, again, some of you are going to have crazy stuff happen in a minute. Some of you may not feel the same level as those around you. But what you're not going to do is like, he doesn't love me. Listen, remember we don't have time for that? Or he doesn't want to give me this, I guess. Guys, that's not true. Sometimes some of you will not be able to pray in tongues in this room right now. But later on today when you're by yourself, you will. Or tomorrow. Or you have to understand sometimes that you just got to take it in steps. God knows he's more committed to your highest calling than you could ever be. And so I'm really not worried about whether you do or don't. I just want you to be clothed with power. And so what we're going to do in just a minute is this is we're going to cry out for power, guys. This isn't a like... You know, has the deer panted forth? No, this is like, come on, I need power. This is the hour that I'm called to go into the nations. I'm going to see blind eyes open and deaf ears hear. I'm going to reach unreached people. That when I walk into a village, I begin to preach the gospel. And it's like on the day of Pentecost where their hearts were arrested. This is the hour of human history that the news is beginning to proclaim who God really is. This is the hour that I've been created for that I could very well be the ones to see the return of Jesus. That in your lifetime, the Great Commission may actually be fulfilled. It's to be called with power from on high. This isn't for you to like, mm, I don't know if it's for me. I hope it's for me. Come on, there has to be this place of going, 
Bring it, God. Clothed with power. Now is the time. Clothed with power.